Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. Welcome to the Think Theism Podcast. My name is Zachary Lawson. I'm a biomedical engineer here at Texas A&M, and I'm here with Andrew Robbins. I'm also a biomedical engineer here at Texas A&M, and we are two of the many thinking theists. That's right. Here on Think Theism, this is the place where Aggies come together to talk philosophy, theology, uh, scripture, science, you name it. Essentially, Christianity, but thinking about it. Uh, So what are we talking about today, Andrew? Today, we're going to talk a little bit about creation slash evolution slash maybe more than creation and evolution. Um, So how about you give us a brief overview of of what that really means? Uh, Certainly. So if you've spent pretty much any time in the United States at all and are remotely aware of uh, uh, politics or the public life, you've probably heard about the whole issue between creation and evolution. Um, surprisingly, this is kind of a unique American thing, wouldn't, wouldn't you think, Andrew? It, yeah, it, in the history of the church, lots of people have obviously had this discussion about interpretations of Genesis, but I don't think at any any place in the world and, um, and in any other historical context that the debate about interpretation of one book of the Bible has really come to such a, a fever pitch in the political and social arena as it has um, in the last hundred years in the United States. Right. I, I completely agree. And, and it seems to me that this issue has been very much magnified to the point that it's almost eclipsed the central truths of Christianity. Uh, I often joke sometimes that it seems to me that if the tomb of Jesus Christ was left empty on that Easter Sunday morning, it really doesn't matter how old the rock was, uh, is kind of what I've often said. But uh, Andrew, would you think that you know, there's sort of a false dichotomy that sometimes people think either the earth is 6,000 years old or it's billions of years old with all types of evolution going on. You know, sometimes that's what you hear, that either it's this, uh, it's either Christianity or it's evolution. Yeah, I think there is, there is a false dichotomy um, because, you know, within, you know, orthodox conservative Christianity, obviously, uh, there's a huge spectrum of views on the age of the earth and uh, the origin of life. Um, although all Christians believe that God created all of life and all of the universe, uh, you know, we all differ in how we think he did that. Um, so this idea that, there's th- that you're either a Christian who believes that the earth is 6,000 years old and that God created um, the world in six days, um, or you are an atheist evolutionist, that's just, it's not true. Um, I think a great evidence of this is obviously the fact that the official doctrine of the Catholic Church um, is theistic evolution. And no matter what you think of the Catholic Church, you can't say that there are no Christians in the Catholic Church. Um, So obviously you can be a Christian and not believe in um, the sort of standard view of of Genesis. Yeah. Now, Andrew, do you think that Maybe sometimes people are saying you're sort of reading science into the text that you're not really addressing what Genesis 1 has to say or even all of Scripture has to say. You're just, you see the conclusions of modern science. They say that the earth is old, that people come from monkeys, and then you just go back and read that into the text. Would you say that's the case? Well, uh, I mean, that is the claim oftentimes, Um, and I think that certainly does happen. Um, There are a number of people who hold 
positions about the age of the earth um, or the origin of life, um, and they hold it for the wrong reasons. Instead of holding it for a biblical reason, uh, they hold it for a scientific reason, and they reinterpret the scripture. Um, So yes, people do do that. The question is, can you hold other views without making the mistake um, of just sort of inserting your views into scripture? Can you hold views other than the standard six-day creation view uh, and still take the text seriously and treat it with the respect that it deserves. Yeah, I, I know exactly exactly what you're saying. In fact, sometimes I, I get a lot of flack uh, because I don't really hold to uh, my interpretation of Genesis is sometimes considered a little a little odd uh, and and out there. But uh, I think that before before we start discussing some of the alternative views, perhaps we need to discuss the uh, the sort of I guess you could say standard view of American evangelicalism which is the six-day young earth uh, type of view. Um, so it seems to me that the, the core root of this is that the genre of Genesis chapter 1 is straightforward, plain history. That's all it is. There is no type of uh, any type of literary device or any type of uh, poetic devices or anything like that. It's just straightforward history. Would you, would you say that that's probably the, the key presupposition to this interpretation? Yeah, that, se- that seems to be the claim. Um, obviously, when we, when we read the first chapter of Genesis, the first thing that jumps out to us, the first interpretation that's the most obvious thing to think is that this is, it's, you know, it's just laying out what happened the way it happened in a sort of historical you know, narrative. Um, and I think everybody agrees that that is obviously the most, the simplest way to read the text, the simplest way to understand it. Yeah, I would definitely agree that it's the simplest understanding. In fact, uh, most, or I wouldn't say most, but there are at least some uh, modern creationists today who have made the argument that if you give the Bible out to 100,000 people, then something like 99,000 of them are going to come back and say, yeah, this is six-day creationism, straightforward, literal, sort of, I guess you could say, prima facie. That's, that's the reading of the text. Now, um, do you think that it... Now, for me, it, it seems to me that it's legitimate to hold that perspective, but you may have other reasons, other exegetical reasons, that um, after reading the entirety of Scripture, you may come to reevaluate that perspective. Now, do you think... For me, I think that the only thing that would overturn Genesis 1 or overturn that interpretation of Genesis 1 would be something in the text. In other words, that if scripture, or if you're going to change your interpretation of Scripture, it needs to fit the rest of Scripture, not reading science and uh, back into the text. Would, would you agree that's a legitimate hermeneutic? Yeah, I, I think that's the, only, that's the only way that you can do it. You, ha- you have to look at the text first and see what are the legitimate ways that it can be interpreted. Um, just on the, the basis of the text alone. I mean, if you don't start that way, I, d- I don't think that you're treating the, tre- uh, the text with the respect that you ought to. I, I agree. So perhaps, um, perhaps something that we need to keep in mind is that before we start, or at least for Christians anyway, before we start throwing scientific uh, objections to the text, perhaps we need to investigate the text itself. Now, I'd, I'd like to go over just a couple of problems that I think... Uh, sort of face this straightforward uh, understanding of the text. Um, now, there's an interpretation called the day-age view, which they agree with um, the sort of calendar day perspective, uh, which is, that's what we'll use to describe the, um, the straightforward understanding. They agree that these are literal days, but they don't think that the days are 24-hour days. 
for example, if you look on day six, there are a long list of things that happen uh, on that day that it just doesn't seem like it can fit in 24 hours. In fact, um, the last event of day six is that uh, Adam and Eve are brought together in the covenant of marriage. Now, it seems to me that needs to happen during daylight, right? Probably. Probably, yeah. <laughs> you know, Adam saw Eve, and there, there weren't fluorescent light bulbs uh, back then, so there probably needed to be sunlight. So really, that cuts it down to 12 hours, if, if we're going to be uh, honest here. So in 12 hours, we have on day six, this is from Genesis chapter 2, uh, that God creates all the animals. He creates Adam. He tells Adam, all of creation is yours. Uh, God plants a garden. The garden grows. God puts Adam in the garden, gives him instructions on how to do it. Then he, God goes over with Adam all of the moral instructions that he has. For example, you may eat of any, true, any tree of the garden, but don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God then tells Adam, cultivate the garden. Then he tells Adam, name all the animals that come to you. Now, no matter which way you identify all the animals, even if you're just identifying mammals in the Middle East, that's a very, very large task to do in 12 hours, right? Yeah, it really, it, it seems at least plausible to say that a, you know, a Hebrew from 4,000 years ago would read this passage and say, look at all this stuff that Adam is doing. Is, it, is he really doing this in 24 hours, or is this some sort of um, you know, metaphor for something that occurred over a long period of time? Right. Yeah, and in fact, uh, there are some defenders of this uh, long day perspective that they even say, Adam uses the word whenever he meets Eve. He says, finally, at long last, I have someone, a helpmeet, uh, a, a person to be with me. It seems to me that, you know, I, I've spent days working, you know, 12 hours or so. I don't get that lonely after, <laughs> after 12 hours, you know. So there are some people that, that would agree that... Um, that these days, however they're to be understood, it doesn't seem like the 12-hour or 24-hour perspective really does justice uh, to the rest of the text. Um, but that, but that's still assuming a literal perspective, right? Yeah, so in this case, um, the holder of this view is not saying that um, all of Genesis 1 is a metaphor, but rather just that the days are literal days, but not days in the sense of a 24-hour period of time, but days in the sense in English when we say in the days of our forefathers, um, a, you know, a long era of time that we refer to sort of as one cumulative, cumulative day, um, but not a 24-hour day. And also, it, it should be noted that this is consistent with the Hebrew term, right? Yeah, well. so the Hebrew t uh, term yom has basically the same usage that we have in English. So just as in English we can say day is in a 24-hour day or day is in a long era, uh, it could be used exactly the same way in Hebrew, and it often um, it often is in the Old Testament. Right. Now, uh, so let so those are two literal understandings of the text. Let's take a brief uh, trip and look at a non-literal perspective. And in full disclosure, th this is the one that I'm the more convinced of. Uh, I, I don't think that uh, anyone should be dogmatic about their perspective because I think that this is a very ambiguous text and that there are certain truths that are encapsulated in it that definitely need to be uh, affirmed by all Christians, for example, the creation of the earth. But a lot of the details, it seems to me, are not all that pertinent. So, Andrew, uh, w wouldn't you say that there's kind of like a sort of a reaction 
uh, or a strong reactionary position by a lot of Christians to any perspective that takes a non-literal uh, understanding of the text. Yeah, so the word non-literal is scary to a lot of people, um, and justifiably so, because you know in the last hundred years there are a lot of sort of splinter groups in Christianity that have made things non-literal um, that have been very damaging to the church. When people start making you know the resurrection of Jesus non-literal, that's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact of the matter is not every passage in Scripture is literal. Um, you know, you can see this all the time. There are lots of examples um, where there's hyperbole um, or where there's metaphors that are intended to convey something uh, that's not in the strict literal sense. For example, when um, the Old Testament refers to the arm of the Lord, uh, obviously we don't believe that God has arms. He's a non-physical being. Um, but the point is that it's it's a metaphor for his power and his strength and his might. Uh, so when you're reading scripture, and everybody intuitively does that, we, we can recognize which sections are supposed to be metaphor and which are supposed to be taken literally most of the time. Um, and there are a few places where it's very difficult. Um, you know, mainly the bookends of the Bible in, in Genesis and Revelations, figuring out what parts are literal and what parts are metaphorical and figurative is not so straightforward. And those are the areas where we can legitimately have um, disagreements without, you know, leaving orthodoxy. Certainly. Now, and sometimes just to build off of that, you'll hear people who will say that if something's not literal, then it's mythology or it's not true or it's some type of... Uh, unnecessary spiritualizing or something to that effect. And so I I think it's important that we highlight that actual historical events that did occur in real time and in real space are sometimes uh, described in metaphor or even in poetry. Uh, There's a really good example of this in the book of Judges. In Judges chapter 4 and chapter 5, they both describe the same event. There was a battle that Israel fought and they won quite handily. Now, if you read Judges chapter 4, it's a pretty straightforward historical description. Uh, the Israelites went out, they fought, they killed, they won. But in Judges chapter 5, you have, uh, I believe it's Miriam who comes out, she pulls a tambourine out, and then she tells the story of the battle. But she talks about it in these very high poetic uh, terms and using some uh, some imagery that doesn't quite make sense. For example, uh saying that the stars came and they fought from heaven and and things of that nature, that they're very clearly metaphors for what's going on. But the fact that Miriam used a metaphor and a poetic structure does not in any way diminish the historicity of the battle. And I think that if we're going to properly understand a conservative understanding of Genesis 1 in a non-literal way, it needs to be uh, in this fashion, that it is a non-literal account of actual history something that has a lot of imagery, a lot of metaphor perhaps, but it described actual history. Now, Andrew, you were talking about things like the arm of the Lord, for example. Uh, Would you say that uh, people, a typical way that you can understand if something is a metaphor is if it kind of obviously doesn't make sense? That's at least one way. Um, when, When things are sort of juxtaposed in a way that seems to contradict itself, Uh, usually that means that we're meaning something a little different than the most obvious meaning. Uh, So when you have, you know, maybe uh, events that are out of sequence in Genesis 1 um, or that don't line up with things occurring in Genesis 2 
or you have these issues like Adam naming all of the animals in 12 hours. Um, these are clearly things that are pointing towards a different interpretation of the text than the standard 24-hour calendar day view. And you know, it's clear enough that you know people 4,000 years ago would have seen that just as easily as we see that. So it seems to me to be a very reasonable assumption, or at least a possible view to test out about the text when you see something that just, it doesn't line up, it doesn't mesh together. Right, and, and, and I think that that very much is indicative that uh, something is not, that we're probably misunderstanding scripture. It seems to me that, at least for conservative Christians, that if, script, if we truly believe that scripture is true, and that um, the world around us, everything that we learn is also true, and if there appears to be a conflict between the two, it's usually not an actual conflict as much as it is a conflict of our understanding. So if, it seems to me that some people unnecessarily bite the bullet and sort of accept these things, you know, Adam naming the, the animals in 12 hours, for example, or the fact that you have three days before the creation of the sun, or the fact that you have the plants appearing on earth before the sun, things that just very clearly do not comport with the reality that God has revealed to us and don't comport with the reality of the rest of Scripture. It seems to me that rather than holding dogmatically to this perspective of young earth creationism or the calendar day perspective, it seems perfectly warranted to go with an alternative understanding as long as we're faithful to the fundamentals of the text and don't violate any of the core truths. So I think that would uh, that deserves a little bit of time because clearly there are some limits. We can't just say everything's non-literal, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know, and with the same way though, this is not to say that the the six day, you know, standard twenty four hour calendar day view um, is somehow t- not taking the text at 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 face value or not treating it well. Um, although I think we both disagree with that interpretation, it's still a legitimate interpretation of the text. C- certainly, um, right. And and this is true with any issue in hermeneutics. You're going to ha- any perspective that you pick in any interpretation is going to have its problems. The question is, are those problems insurmountable, or are those problems so much that the explanatory power, as it were, of that interpretation is overwhelmed? Now, for me personally. I'm convinced. I think that the problems faced by the Young Earth interpretation or the calendar day interpretation, to be more accurate, I think that those problems are too much. Uh, that at that point, there really isn't a strong enough explanatory power uh, for the six day creation view. And I think that a non literal understanding is better. And I don't think it compromises the text. But I, I, and I think it's, Andrew, I know you definitely agree that we considered those uh, those brothers and sisters of ours in Christ who hold the six-day creation view that they are just as conservative and just as honest as we are, uh, I, I would say. You know, we don't want to disparage them at all. Yeah, and so I take a slightly different view of the uh, of trying to compare these two different options. If we have a, a non-literal type of framework view um, and a calendar six-day view, um, as far as I can tell, we can arrive at both of these views fairly naturally from the text, um, and both of them are plausible. They, you know, in in either case, you have to explain some peripheral issues, um, but I think they're both legitimate. You know, fairly easy to arrive at conclusions. So, in deciding between those two, once I've done my due diligence um, and looked at the text. And, and seeing what the legitimate options are, at that point I can look at other 
at other evidence, um, you know, like geological evidence, um, and try to make the determination which of these two views fits the other things that we know about the world. But I, and, I, and I think you can do that legitimately, but you can only do that after you have seriously and legitimately considered what the text says um, and what can be interpreted from the text by itself. Um, so the, my main reason for, for leaning towards um, a non-literal um, and, and an older earth view of creation is, is primarily that in deciding between these two views, uh, I think the science can provide a weight on the scale after you've after you've balanced them out a little bit. And I think that clearly lands on the side of an older earth. Right. And, and again, just to, just to reiterate, this is only, this can only be legitimately done if you're in a state of neutral. If, if you've examined the text and both seem equally plausible, it certainly seems rational and permitted, uh, even to bring in evidence from outside to, uh, to make the, the determining factor sort of as a tiebreaker. Um, but I, but like I, like we've mentioned though, you can't just play willy-nilly with the text, right? They're, no, they're, I mean, it, yeah. if if you just insert your own ideas into the, to the text, it has no objective meaning at that point. Um, if we're going to assert that the text does have objective meaning, um, then we have to treat it as something that can speak to us and prove our other views wrong. Um, if you if you start with the assumption that your views are all correct, uh, then of course we're never going to we're never going to allow the scripture to correct our views, which is one of the major purposes of scripture. So uh, just to wrap up, I think that we should probably. Uh, so some people don't think that we're all over the place uh, in what we believe and what we don't believe. What are some of those essential truths confirmed by the first chapters of Genesis that are pretty much non-negotiable, or at least they are very clearly evidenced from the text? So clearly, we see that God creates the entire universe from nothing, from no ex- pre-existing matter. It's not like the Greek and Egyptian gods that created the world from some pre-existing chaos. God created everything. He spoke it into existence out of nothing. Secondly, I think uh, we cannot deny that Adam, Adam was a real person um, who lived in history. Uh, it's there's no way, and this isn't necessarily from Genesis one, but most importantly um, from in the New Testament, because you know the gospel clearly builds on the fact that that Christ is sort of undoing what Adam did, and so if the fall with Adam is not real, then we have a problem with the atonement that Christ is is providing us. Um, so you you can't deny that Adam was a real person. Certainly, it, it it seems to be very explicit that there are two covenants, uh, particularly in Romans chapter five, the covenants of work, wherein all men fall in Adam, and then the covenant of grace, wherein all men are made uh, clean again in Christ. And I believe that uh, Scripture explicitly states that Christ is the second Adam; he is the second covenant maker. Now, there is one thing I would like to uh, for clarification here. Um, Whenever we say Adam, that doesn't necessarily mean the first uh, or the sole biological progenitor of the human race, correct? Yes, it, it does not seem to me to be necessary from the basis of the text to say that God had to specially create Adam as the first biological ent- entity in, in a lineage um, of beings. Um, but God did have to 
uh, Adam had to basically be the first human being um, in the sense that he had the image of God placed on him. Um, so for a theistic evolutionist, uh, it's still possible to be, uh, to legitimately, you know, interpret the text the way it ought to be interpreted uh, with Adam, but you have to, you still have to have a single Adam that God places the image of God on uh, in order to legitimately understand what Genesis is teaching us and then what Romans is teaching us. Yeah, sometimes this is called, he's called the federal head or the federal representative. And I think that this parallel is uh, perfectly, or I think there's a pretty solid parallel between Adam and Christ here, because obviously we're not all the biological descendants of Jesus. Actually, it's impossible that anyone is the biological descendant of Jesus. Uh, But yet we can still be in uh, the covenant of grace through his work and through his atoning uh, sacrifice. And so it seems to me that if the logic is that we can be in the covenant of Christ and we're not necessarily biological in his biological lineage, then to me it doesn't seem necessary that we need to be in the biological lineage of Adam as well to uh, be in his covenant uh, and his covenant of works and have to deal with the curses that come from there. No. I don't have anything to add. Oh, I see. So... uh, Obviously, this is a big topic, and uh, we haven't hit on everything, but um, we thank you for joining, uh, joining us for a couple of our thoughts just on this issue, uh, and uh, we hope to see you next time whenever we discuss something new and exciting uh, from the Word of God.